The destruction of one thing means the emergence of something else. In his male-dominated culture, he's a refreshing resource for thinking differently about gender roles, women, work life, love, marriage, friendship, even human rights, where many celebrated writers assume that their reputations will live on forever. He was convinced that his books would die out and be forgotten within five years of his passing. That's not the case at all. History has been very kind to this person and for good reason. Experience had taught him to expect the worst. The early loss of his mother and repeated reverses in his academic career, and then the death, finally, of his wife from cancer after just five years of marriage just rocked him completely. But through it all, he wrote thousands and thousands of letters to many different friends that he often never even met in person, but just exchanged letters with. He was always meticulous, and he had a precise use of words that's concise and enviable to someone like me to this day. The quality is evidenced in his arguments, which he presented many, nonfiction and fiction through his career. He was doing both, and he even dabbled with some verse. Integrity, he said, is doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. He was known as Jack since he was a child, and he was born in 1898 in Belfast, Ireland, although his real name was Clive. And while some consider him the most influential writer of the modern century, his death was hardly noticed by anyone because he died on the day that Kennedy was shot. His mother died when he was only nine in Ireland, and his dad never remarried. He was sent to four different boarding schools before Cambridge and Oxford came a calling. But World War II happened first, so he went to war, unexpectedly. After the war, Oxford hired him officially, and he was considered an outsider from the start because his attitude was so different from the sort of the stodgy, tweed-wearing men of his time that he was surrounded with. And he suffers quite a few setbacks that were tripped by the war. After he came back from World War II, he was hired at Oxford and then Cambridge, and he was an outsider from the start for his outspoken attitudes. And he even had a little drama in his personal life. He ended up living with his war buddy's mother through most of the 1920s, if not far beyond that. The details are hazy on this time, but his friends at Cambridge and Oxford, he went back and forth to both, they teased him for this because this woman was twice his age. And while he consistently denied the relationship, he, they lived together through most of his time at Oxford and Cambridge. The affair that he had with the woman could have actually cost him his place teaching at Oxford. And Mrs. Moore, as she was called, would have been his own mother's age at the time of her early death. So it seems like there's some deep-seated psychological things he's working through at this time, through his 20s and 30s. 
He always consistently denies his relationship to his friends at Oxford, while he pondered the piety of things like celibacy, even though all evidence suggests that he was her lover until her death. At this time, he also meets a lifelong soulmate and friend that will probably go on to become the most influential person of his life and certainly his career. Both of these men enjoyed the stories growing up in their childhood by people like Grimm and Andrew Lang and so many others. He, they, together, shared a love for Celtic myths and the folk tales of Ireland. Professionally, they studied and taught the literature of medieval romance and held lecture halls and panels after hours of rousing debates and discussions, just like you would expect at Cambridge and Oxford from these men. He was also a devout atheist at this time, and he says, A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. And reading Dante in particular seemed to help heal the trauma of his service in World War II, and maybe even put him on a more spiritual path. Dante's Inferno also fueled his inner journey from atheism to theism and onto a, a dense sense of spiritualism later in his life. And many even suggest that the melting of the snow before the hero comes in one of his most famous stories outlines this journey he took in his own life. He said that he found a deeper order grounded in the nature of God, which could be discerned, and which once grasped made sense of culture, history, science, and above all, acts of literary creation he valued so highly. He was writing obsessively at this point, not just letters, not just lectures, but books, fiction and nonfiction. And from the beginning, he vowed to donate all of his money that he made from his books on Christianity and spirituality to charity. He, throughout his life, received giant tax bills that he struggled to pay because he gave all his money away. He also leans on alcoholism most of his life, and he remains poor and struggles to pay off many of his bills for decades. Many of his friends are aware of this and encourage him not to give away the funds. He even paid the bills of his longtime secretary. Yet he still refused to give up his vow to donate all of his book royalties to charity. Without his dedication to his art and his thoughts, we wouldn't have the amazing works of mere Christianity and the Screwtape Letters and the Chronicles of Narnia. And without his friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien, of Hobbit fame, our world would be so much poorer without these two incredible worlds they co-created together at Oxford and Cambridge. Narnia and Middle-earth wouldn't exist without them. If these two young Oxford professors hadn't met at an otherwise ordinary faculty meeting in 1926, those wondrous lands that we fall into and escape to and share with our children and our children's children, they would be unknown to us. Through myth and legend, they mined the deepest truths of reality in human nature. Perhaps 
C.S. Lewis still speaks to us because when we look closer at his life, he's not really that unusual at all. I think we see ourselves in him and his struggle for life and love and overcoming pain and resilience and beauty. As always, thanks for listening to the Rebels and Saints podcast, guys. If you enjoyed your time with me today, do me the greatest honor and hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you want to learn more, head over to my website, adrianlee.com. There you can get linked to my audiobooks, read my latest release on Amazon, or sign up for my newsletter and get a free ebook as a thanks from me. Lots of good things. Lots of good things happening over there. And I want to hear from you. Leave me a comment, a review, and let me know what you liked about this episode. Or maybe there's someone, an artist, or some inspiring soul you want to dig a little deeper into. Let me know.